Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Titans of Customer Engagement. Today we've got something a bit unique. You're stuck with two hosts today, Jake Roadhouse and myself, John Wishart. Jake started his foray into community as an enthusiast and then professionally at Lithium Technologies, first as a customer success manager, a little bit before the title was in vogue, I'd add. At that time, it entailed strategy, project management, a little bit of support. Uh, Jake really did a bit of everything at the organization at the time. And after that, Jake moved into our business value team, focused on helping organizations understand and measure the impact of community. At this point, I think it's no exaggeration to say, Jake, that you have guided hundreds of organizations on how to best frame up the success and impact of community, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. But before we do that, I reference this in your introduction here. I think in all the time you and I have worked together, I don't actually know what the community that started your journey into communities was. So what kicked things off for you in the community space? No, it's a good question, and thank you for the introduction, John. It's, it's sort of nice to be here today. Just two salty old community dogs that <laughs> crawled out of the same primal community mud talking about community issues and what we're dealing with today. Um, I think when I look back on my earliest community days, where I got started understanding it, um, community was this idea that I could post somewhere and someone would respond to me. And as somebody who, from an early age at school, always wanted a reaction, I was a bit of a provocateur, this was very special to me. So in the late 90s, I discovered guest books on websites on like GeoCities. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And, you know, I wasn't trying to cause problems, but I would get into these debates signing guest books. People And people had these uh, websites that they would set up about uh, movies or bands or something like that. So if somebody had a, a sort of a fan site set up about the movie Blade Runner, I specifically remember, uh -huh. and I got into this big to-do going back and forth about the design of Choose Jacket by this French artist named Mobius. Like, and But what I ended up finding was, oh my gosh, there's experts on these arcane subjects just like me I'm not living in my mom's basement, but maybe they are. And we can have these super nerdy conversations that are seemingly important to me, at least, and maybe to the 50 other people that were on the Blade Runner hobbyist website. Right. And that led me that that type of interplay or interchange. This must have been around 1997, uh, 98, led me into discovering communities or as we knew them back then, message boards. Sometimes we call them forums, but message boards. And what I found was that everything that I loved and was passionate about, there was a community on, right? And and I found there were other things that you could really make happen. You could meet girls through there, or you could sell stuff or buy stuff. I mean, it was it's pretty cool. And um, and then when the sort of dot economy happened, and I think community really started to get some legs as a business solution. Yeah. I first started seeing community, um, like Yelp was something I, I discovered early on as a sense of community. Uh, and then I eventually stumbled into Lithium where if people were using it as a business solution, brands were using it. I 
instantly fell in love with that. So That's so cool. I mean, and to this day, there remain communities around every topic under the sun. I, I think for today, kind of pulling on the thread that you just surfaced around how businesses have started to, I shouldn't even say started, have been using community for two decades plus at this point. I thought what we could do is start pretty broad about your perspective on how businesses are measuring value today. It seems like luckily we've sort of left the world in which all of those questions were existential, right? It is no longer, are these things worth it? It's more around the mechanics and the tactics of how do we do it, which is clearly a net positive. But maybe let's start there. With that recognition in mind, what are most organizations still missing out on in your mind? It's funny that you mentioned the old days because we used to be get really anxious when customers would ask us about ROI. I'm talking about like pre-2010 pre, um, era, and we would, I would inevitably, we would inevitably have to call in Joe Cothrell, our then <laughs> chief community officer, to and and even he would even struggle at times. He's great at measuring things, but these were still green fields back then. Now I find that brands always want to look at the four most common value levers that we look at today, which is savings, sales, satisfaction, and SEO. Those are the most easy ones that we can quantify or put dollar figures to. Um, And the satisfaction can be a little bit of a moving target, depending on how good the business is at measuring that is, that measuring that to begin with. But then we never want to lose set sight of the other sort of value propositions that are out there that brands are looking for um, that are much harder to quantify or put dollar figures to, voice of the customer, um, and and things like that. You know, these days, I always look at contact deflection as the base of the pyramid for many communities. Obviously, if we're talking to someone, if marketing sponsor in the community, they, they could care less about contact deflection. So, we start with the base of the pyramid, though, usually with contact deflection, and then go from there. What I have found, though, with marketing-style communities is they want um, you know, top-of-the-funnel, pipeline. They want lead gen. Maybe they care about uh, loyalty or reduced churn. So it really varies as to who, which business division is sponsoring the community what they care about. A good start is usually contact deflection and savings, but not always, depending on who you're speaking with. So I think that's a steadfast one to start with, but it's always got to be those four, savings, sales, satisfaction, and SEO. That notion of of contact avoidance as the starting place is one that sometimes I get confused by, admittedly, in that some of the use cases you described where marketing sponsoring the community, and they're more concerned with lead generation or customer retention, part of me is a little bit skeptical about a reality in which that is happening devoid of first still answering questions for a customer, still doing some level of self-service empowerment, even if they're not measuring it. Do you think I'm off base? Like, is there a reality in which like I launch a community and right out of the gate, all I'm doing is generation of leads? Well, it depends on how hot the product is. And it depends on how sophisticated the product is. Because a lot of these communities where it's contact deflection, we start off even with more basic, inexpensive products. They're not B2B high tech, say they're, Mm -hmm. you know, B2C high tech or um, that 
people come there for tips and tricks. And if it's not just, hey, my thing is broken, I'm in dire need of support style question, it's a tip or trick, how do I optimize this? But even before that, there's, hey, what should I buy? Here are my needs, mm. right? So I don't think that a community that comes or a brand that comes through the door and, there's, and their initial instinct is, well, we want people to help make, we want to help inform people make buying decisions. Obviously, we're trying to do that with our web pages right now, but we feel like our customer base, our well-informed customers can help make that happen. Um, I don't think that's completely uh, out to lunch anymore. I used to think it was always tips and tricks. It was always support. Yeah. But if there's anybody that has proved me wrong, and I, yes, everybody invokes their name constantly, <laughs> it's Sephora, right? If they're trying to solve problems, it ain't with Sephora support. It's how to do a smoky eye for prom. It's how to use the product, right? It's not because it's a broken product or something like that. And in that respect of making that decision of what to buy, uh, or I'm sorry, how to use it or how to do a smoky eye, they're determining what to buy. Yeah. So I think that lead gen is not as far-fetched or is devoid of what we, maybe you and I were once conditioned to believe, like it's all tips and tricks. It's all breaks. <laughs> right? No, there's a lot of buying decisions now. Yeah, I like that. I can't remember. I'm, I'm stealing a quote from someone we worked with who I have completely forgotten who originally said this. Someone pushed back against the notion of there being support communities and they were supportive communities, mm -hmm. right? Communities that are helping folks understand yeah. what the best product to use is, not you know, by my device broke or something to that effect. Right. right. Which I think is interesting. The terms I'm using these days, and you know, you know me, I'm always on the hunt for a three dollar word <laughs> and remove other words that people have overused or abused. But I, I say that what communities offer is a sense of solidarity and fellowship. Maybe it's solidarity for all the problems that we're experiencing together but a sense of fellowship when we come to make buying decisions mm -hmm. or how we're using these things in our lives. It's a, it's a, it's a real nice way and gentle way of putting it. Um, putting a nice and gentle shellac on what can sometimes be at times a little toxic with this thing is broken <laughs> and I want to attack yeah. the brand and Hey, how come you can't help me with this? And even these super users that give great answers, but they don't have the best bedside manner the conversations turn adversarial really fast. It's kind of weird, the mechanics that go on in there. But ultimately, for somebody who's driving by, they have one of three things that they're looking to do. Fix a problem, a tip or trick, or what they should what should they buy. That's how I'm generally looking at it. I, that makes a ton of sense to me. And, and I think it begs a question that has been one where I feel like over various points in time, we've sort of you know varied in where we fall on the spectrum here, which is to what degree should the brand be involved in these communities, right? I can remember a point at which even in the tips and tricks style community, it was sort of you know forbidden that the mm -hmm. brand should actually get involved. Clearly that's changed. What's your sense of like that right balance today? Well, it's changing. It's changing all the time. We had, uh, you know, and I'm not speaking out of school here because they've been public about it, but it was Cisco who invented that swarm model. And I think it was back 2010, 11-ish, when they had their support center had a community set up for their support agents exclusively. It wasn't even for their customers. And, um, you know, it's a very private community in the sense that we employees can't even see it. Um, but 
they have gone public speaking about it and how it works. They have sort of overturned this idea of how is a brand listening or participating? It's very different, obviously, with a traditional community. Is the brand participating in those communities? But what about if the brand itself just had a community to figure out all their stuff mm-hmm. internally so they could go out and help people? That's the extreme end of it. The other extreme end is, hey, the brand doesn't even care. It's hand off. <laughs> you know, um, not that they don't care, but uh, that they don't want to. When they bought community, they weren't just looking for another channel to get involved in, right? Yeah. They wanted it to be kind of hands-off, set it and forget it. These are for the customers. Sometimes the brand even feels a bit intimidated or uh, product managers don't want to get in there because their baby is being call- getting called ugly, right? There's there's times when the brand maybe at some point wanted to be in there, but they're like, wait a second. We're not saying it's a dumpster fire, but if we get in there, we could get on the hook for stuff. And we see that there's 10 or 20 super users right now that are doing just fine keeping the barbarians at the gate. And forgive me if these seem like uncharitable terms or ways that I'm describing the situation, but really is that's what's happening, right? If you have an ocean of customers that are looking for tips and tricks, looking on advice how to buy, or looking to throw rocks at the brand or complain, and you have 10, 20, 50, or 100 people are there defending you or answering those questions or helping, like, why get involved? Right. Like something about a 10 foot pole, like maybe I shouldn't stick my head in there. Like we've got our traditional support channels. We've got our traditional tools. We've got our traditional titles of people that manage that stuff. Whereas these super users with names like VIP or advocate or ambassador or emissary, whatever it is, those people are doing just fine. Right now, has that changed much? Yes and no. I mean, we still you and I will still talk to prospective customers that are like, hey, how much should we be participating or not? And I never want to scare them. I never want to say, well, you know, I've calculated, you know, your visits and your traffic and you're probably looking at weighing it on anywhere between 10 to 100 conversations a week. And they're like, huh, maybe we don't buy, maybe we don't start a community. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to scare people away. But you should always be listening. And you should be ready to participate if certain conversations using certain keywords go there. And those words are your CEO's name, words like lawsuit, words like your competitor's names. You better be ready to be prepared to deploy a resource to participate in those conversations that has a proper social media tone of voice and has a proper understanding of the talk track that your business is going to use in those specific types of dodgy conversations. The rest of the time, no, I encourage them, like, always be listening, participate as you feel appropriate. Maybe at the beginning you participate a bit more until your super users start to emerge, and then you drop back a little bit. Um, And then somebody will come through the door, though, and they'll say, well, we have an SLA of this and this and this, and we're just looking for a new channel to, you know, bite off more than we can chew. I'm like, well, congratulations, we got them. (laughs) Right. what about you i mean what do you where do you think it's going i i totally agree i mean where i feel like the part of me that was sympathetic to the concern around we don't know if we want to sign up for opening another channel answering a ton of questions that sort of fell by the wayside to me with the advent of social care right because clearly that was not true right there there was an appetite for it there was a need for it 
Yeah. And so what I think has been the struggle for many organizations to overcome, even just conceptually, is community is still fundamentally different than every one of those other channels in that I ask a question, you as the representative from the brand answer it. That's great for me, the question asker. What I think still, and I recognize this is community 101 for some folks that might be listening, but what I think many folks still fail to recognize is I got my question answered. So did 10,000 people behind me over the next 10 years. Yes. Right. And that is just, it is a fundamental difference that I think is hard to overstate how critical to the value proposition for both parties it is. And it's just so easy to lose sight of that because it is so basic that I think that's where we start to get into interesting conversations around, is it cost avoidance? Is it efficiency gains, right? I still, as the brand, maybe had to put forward 15 minutes of effort to answer a question, but did it actually save me 15,000, right? On the other side that I never saw. Right. So I think, that's always the question that comes to mind for me is like, if you are answering, where is the time best spent? I think that's been sort of the reframing and the shift that I've seen organizations sort of wrestling with again, really since the advent of social care, I think is when it came front and center to most folks' mind. Right. And, and the thing is, man, people aren't searching Facebook and Twitter. Well, heck, they may not have been searching the community. People aren't searching as much (laughs) as I can search it. But you know, the way that the communities get, the conversations become crystallized and live on in perpetuity rather than Facebook and Twitter, where it just seems like this maelstrom or ether that things get lost in. Um, It's interesting how I feel like the dialogue, how it gets preserved or not preserved. And that defines or can help define how much a brand should participate or not participate. I think it's easy for a brand to say, hey, we're going to be on Twitter. Hey, we're going to be on Facebook. We're going to be on Instagram. But then to say, well, we are on record with our customers having this discussion from five years ago, and you can find it very easily. As a matter of fact, it's going to stick around and become the most <laughs> visited or viewed conversation on on our website. On It's not on yeah. Twitter.com. Yeah. It's not on Facebook. It's on our website, right? I mean, granted, I know it's, you know, a chorus powered application or, you know, fill in the blank community powered application, but it, the experience that the customer has or the visitor has is like, this is part of the freaking website, right? And that, that on-domain versus off-domain social is a big distinction when it comes to whether the brand should be or could be participating or not. And I believe you're right that social care kind of changed a lot of that how does the brand participate? Should the brand participate? The brand should always be on Facebook and Twitter because as our former CMO, Katie Kime, said a long time ago, fish where the fish are, right? I'm sure she mm-hmm. got that somewhere else, but <laughs> I remember that made sense when we were entering into those waters of social care, fish where the fish are. I was thinking, well, what about my good old buddy community? You know, how is he or she going <laughs> to suffer because of that? It's like, man, community is still managed to thrive because people still go to the website. The website it still represents the company store. It still represents the Citadel or the locus that people think of when they think about the brand online. They may think of the brand's presence on Twitter or Facebook, but when they think of the brand online and like where they buy stuff or how they would lodge a complaint or maybe pay a compliment, it's primarily going to be through the website. 
people are using Twitter and Facebook more for that stuff, given props or certainly throwing complaints at brands. But I don't know, man. I, I feel like community, because of the preservation that it offers of these conversations, that helps dictate the fear or lack thereof of brands participating in the conversation. Yeah. I feel like I stumbled across a statistic as as we were pulling together some benchmark data for a customer I was working with a little while ago. And, and I imagine you have heard this trumpeted within our own organization for many years, right? Which was like the floor of topics that should receive a response at 75%. At least 75% of topics posted should receive a response. And that always passed kind of a gut check for me. <laughs> Thinking about it more, it prompted me to think about the flip side of that ratio, right? Which is effectively, we're cool with ignoring one in four, right? Uh, being a little bit exaggerative, but that is sort of what that guidance has historically suggested. If you're hitting three out of four, it's good enough, which again, sort of undercut that notion of, we'll just leave the community to answer all of the questions. We don't need to be involved. To my mind, clearly 25% of the time, at least, you should probably be involved yeah. if that 75% rate is, is kind of where we're at. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, that makes me real anxious. The, just the idea <laughs> of leaving something unanswered, right? Like totally. even in the smaller, more intimate hobbyist communities that I would be participating in or, or be an expert in, like I would feel, and I still do this even internally here at Koros in you know our Atlas community or even in Slack or whatever. It's like if somebody is asking for help I f- and I see it, yeah. I feel compelled to help them. Now, I'm not saying my help will be any good because sometimes my help comes in the form of, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Knucklehead, why don't you try searching, right? (laughs) That's not helpful. But it is a response, right? And sometimes, yeah, I just get anxious with the idea of something going unanswered, right? I'm comfortable with the sound of silence, but maybe not the sound of silence when someone says, hey, I need this, or I want this, or I could use some help here. Yeah, I am completely on the same page. And, and that's where like the, the glib answer that I sometimes have for like, what's the right amount of brand participation in community is until you're at 100% of topics with a response. It's a moot question, right? right. Like the right. onus is on you to get the answer out there right. in the first place. I, you know, the other thing is a really good brand community should be able to, after a while, once they've gotten their sea legs, right? So there's a caveat here. They should be able to point to a hundred threads with the ant with the hundred most com- answers to the hundred most common questions. They should be able to point to a knowledge base or tribal knowledge base, whatever it is. They should be able to point to an online FAQ, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. There's depending on your product or service. There's the most common 20, 50, 150 questions. You sh- if your business is worth its salt, like. You should have those answered and ready and be able to just hit the button, say, here's the link, partner. Here's the link, partner. Read yeah. it. Generally. I, it is, again, it's one of those interesting little factoids about communities that so often it's easy to just not see because it's behind the scenes, which is so much of the view to views <laughs> to content are concentrated to like a hundred topics, right? It is, there's a handful of things that are carrying the bulk of the water for that particular community's ability to find an answer for folks. Not uncommon to pull up a community and find, oh, the most viewed piece of content was a thread from seven years ago, right? That yeah. is still serving still customers relevant. because 
that's the answer that they needed. So I have a slightly different topic for you around this notion of of self-service and cost avoidance, maybe before we spend a little bit of additional time around some of the additional ways in which organizations are measuring value. What role do you think automation has moving forward in support communities? It felt like we had a couple years of kind of stumbling, and it feels like we've had now organizations sort of crack the code, right? Figure out a way in which it layers on top of community pretty effectively. Do you think that's true, or do you think there's still some learning to be done? So there's a couple of things when people talk about automation and like, again, there's those three concepts of people come to a community to either, well, leaving aside those people that are just maniacs that want to answer every question. <laughs> Let's leave those people. Aside. But it's something is dreadfully broken and I need help. Hey, I'm looking for some tips or tricks on optimizing or, Hey, I'm looking to, for some help on how to buy. Can a robot help me with those. And when we say automation, I'm just going to generically say a robot. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, Kevin Burns, a great employee here at Coil, has been around forever, been in tech forever. He has something, and I'm going to misquote him here, and so forgive me, Kevin, if you're listening to this or watching this, something about it's really easy to fool a robot or to trick them into sounding foolish, right? And you know, people can clown the robots and all that and provoke them and do all this weird stuff and have the brand look like they have egg on their face. And the robot can sometimes be irritating, right? Because you know it's a robot, right? So I I think back to like, if I was trying to get something done in Microsoft in Outlook somehow and Clippy would pop up. Like that thing (laughs) really, I know there's some people that love Clippy, but I was very irritated by the little animation of Clippy and and to this day, when I see the little things pop up, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a picture of somebody with a headset, like, how can I help you? And I go, you're a robot. You don't look like <laughs> Um So sometimes I get irritated by that. But I believe that answers are out there. And if I'm telling somebody, go and search, right? I'm basically a robot right there. Now, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, a, I'm the robot now. Right. Like, go and read this. Here's your solution, partner. Right. So in that respect, I completely and utterly support and believe in automation. But it's on the brand to make that content robust enough to where the breadcrumb that the robot's going to or the journey that the robot's going to bring the person on has that payoff at the end of the actual solution that they need. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. You know, I would get on these calls and people are like, I'm really into machine learning and I'm really into, I'm like, what is all that? Like, I don't, I, man, I try to stay abreast of technology, <laughs> but like, what is machine learning? I think of like Clippy. I think of the robots. I think of the automation, right? Like, I think of people putting together and parsing these strings and queries together so that somebody can be led down a path. Is that machine learning? I don't know. Probably not. But the point here I'm trying to make is that I'm a big believer in automation. I'm a big believer in the robot because people are predictable in why they're coming to the website in the first place. They either need help with a buying decision. They're either looking to optimize with tips or tricks or something is broken and they need and they dreadfully need an answer to fix it. A robot can help with the break fix most of the time. A robot can help with op, with optimization or tips and tricks some of the time 
And with the buying decision, I think we're way off and we got a long way to go with a robot actually doing good bedside manner consulting to mm -hmm. say, here's what I think you should buy. Well, that kind of prompts me. One of the topics you mentioned up front around some of the other use cases folks have with community that feels increasingly essential for just these reasons is this notion of voice of customer, right? It's, it's like combing through the things that people are saying, the things that they are reading to get a sense of what they might be saying on the other side of their screen to inform some of those paths. So I, I can see the benefit there. What about more holistically, your sense of where community teams are starting to think about voice of customer more all-encompassingly? Well, I think the best way or most obvious way of, see, of seeing it, and it's been around forever and a day, is um, the idea exchange or you know the idea storm as Dell sort of birthed it back in the day. Um, and I can't think of a better place where voice of the customer is leading the charge, right? It's one thing to say, the voice of the customer is a squeaky voice and this is hopelessly <laughs> broken. This bug's been around forever. Hey, get on it, Mr. and Mrs. Brand. But when I think of voice of the customer, I think of like idea exchange, like here's what the customer wants. Here's what the customer is asking for. I do come from kind of that Steve Jobs school of like, customer doesn't know what they want. I'm going to tell you what you want, right? <laughs> but at times the customer is always right. The customer knows what's going on. It's it may be hard as a business to, you know, hang your hat on it or catch that that fish, you know, or like because it's a bit of a moving train. And I I, I remember reading about um, in the automobile industry. I think from the time of the idea of an automobile, uh, you know, where people are starting to put together mm -hmm. what what requirements it's going to fulfill, the price point, you know, back in the in the engineering, it takes about seven years before it eventually gets out onto the showroom floor. Right. It's probably gotten better since then. But I think to like what the voice of the customer offers is like if the brand can really parse all that data together, all that input, all those ideas together and synthesize it and they have a development team and maybe it's technology they got to build. It's an actual product that you handle or whatever. Maybe it's a little harder, but um you know, it's going to shorten the time for product to hit the market. Boy, that's what voice the customer rep represents to me. I mean, it, it can represent, hey, fix this, hey, do that. But when it comes to actually developing a product, now it could potentially be as short as 6, 12, 18 months for it to come to market with what community can offer voice of the customer wise. I don't, I don't, do you have a similar sense or am I kind of way off on that? No, I mean, I, I totally agree. Like that notion of an idea exchange is, to my mind, at least maybe one of the most explicit ways of asking yeah. for voice of the customer, right? Which is basically, tell me what you want, right? In, in slightly different terms. And I think there's a ton of value in that. There's clearly a ton of interest from the consumer and customer perspective. The one that is, is equally as interesting to me is almost just like voice of customer by way of pattern recognition, right? Like what are the issues that just keep popping up? Oh. Are there distinct things that we can isolate, right? That like this is a point in our new customer onboarding process where we get the same question every single time. <laughs> this is a feature that we find every yeah. time we introduce it. There are these questions. Right. That I find really interesting for community teams on, on top of the idea exchange of just saying like, are there opportunities for us to identify where we can do a better job of answering this question once rather than 
a decent job answering it a thousand times, right? Distributed over the course of months and years. Well, I'm, I'm glad you put it in that context because I was immediately thinking about product when we talk about voice to cost customer. But the way you just put it, now it makes me think about process, right? It's like totally. voice to the customer exposes your broken process or your lack of process or your a process that should be there. That in a way is more interesting because you can fix that in 30, 60 or 90 days. <laughs> right, and, right. You know, if you got your head screwed on tight, you could fix that pretty quick, um, potentially. Uh, so voice of the customer, you know, I, I don't know what it is. It's just instinct. I always think product, like what product? Sure, sure. But the moment you, yeah, we should make that distinction. Voice of the customer that's crying for process or product. Absolutely. And and I go back time and time again, I can think of this distinct visualization that I think our colleague Grigor showed me for the first time, which was this scatter plot of survey results from a survey that runs in our communities of resolution rate across our X axis, right? Likelihood of someone to find what they're looking for. And it was correlated to CSAT as the Y axis. And just how inarguable it is. I mean, it, it clearly passes the like gut check test, but just seeing the data visualized in that way if someone finds what they are looking for, they are likely to be satisfied with the experience, right? It is so breathtakingly obvious. But then so you think I, about, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you know, and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> at home, first of all, shout out to Grigor Kotsev out of Paris, uh, originally of Bulgaria, our good friend Grigor, who put this scatter plot together. Um, the more details of it are that we offer this value analytics survey in our community and that we were able to see that the higher the resolution rate in the community, the more satisfied people were with that community. And whenever I show that scatter plot, at the very end, you know, I explain it and I go, and thank you, Uncle Jake, water is wet, right? Like, right, exactly. You know, yeah. But what I then tell them is, isn't it comforting to see that data, that there's a correlation there, that this community, not only people are getting their answer, that, but they are more satisfied. And that, that little pithy maxim that I said at the beginning of the conversation, not our conversation, John, but one that I had with a prospect or another customer, which is a community member spends more, is more satisfied, and is cheaper to support. Well, now all of a sudden, cheaper to support with resolution and more satisfied. I've ticked two of those boxes in my pithy maxim, right? That scatter plot proves it right Totally. There. Well, it's and why I have just increasingly come to use resolution rate, success rate, pick your synonym of choice, right, for for the measure is it, it feels like one of the few measurements that A, is coming directly from the end user, right? It is not it is not interpretation. It is brand asks question, yes or no, right? Yeah. Could not be more straightforward. And it is simply a percentage of yes or no. It's why I also, you know, I'm learning how to, continually be delicate with this um, because I've tried to do it myself. And I think we as a business even tried to do it 10, 15 years ago. People would come up with these formulas for here's the amount of solutions or sanctioned answers yep. we have yep. in a community as a percentage of our posts. And this represents our resolution rate and all this. And I'm like, why don't you just ask the friggin' <laughs> And they're like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, the survey. And they're like, well, our surveys, blah, blah. I'm like, your surveys suck. They've got 50 questions. They're asking vapid things like, 
Did the web page load fast enough? You have to ask very simple, lightweight questions. Why did you come here? Did you come what you were look find what you were looking for? If you found what you were looking for, congratulations. Would you have contacted us if you could if you hadn't found it? Right? Like really lightweight yeah. survey like that. It has the virtue of ask the customer. How was your experience? Right? Did you get your did you was your goal complete? Did you achieve what you meant to achieve? Right? Like I love that. It's so simple on its face, yeah. yet people want to complicate it. Indeed, I have wanted to complicate it <laughs> by saying, you know, by having some mad grid of solutions and threads and time to answer and all this crap to somehow arrive at the value or the money saved at the deflection. No, it's a simple survey. And what feels really compelling to me about it is like clearly for the deflection use case we've been talking about, it works beautifully, right? Very straightforward. Why are you here? Did you find it? Would you have contacted us? And it's just percentages applied to a, a visits number at the top. What seems additionally interesting, though, is that resolution rate, that success rate, that is not in isolation unique to support, right? You talked about I'm coming trying to figure out what product maybe I want to buy. I can still answer a question that says, did you leave with the answer that you were seeking, right? Yes or no. And so it, it opens up the door through that one question to any way that I want to think about measuring the value that community is providing, whether it's lead gen, acquisition, whatever, right? It's this one question that is super straightforward, but just opens up the door to any number of measurement opportunities. It also opens the door to the way when you put it like that, to an error being made in the sense of, well, they, they achieved what they wanted to do, but they weren't going to contact support. Why? Sure, totally. Not because they're a 16-year-old kid who's allergic to contact support, but because it wasn't a support question. Yeah. It was, yep. what should I buy? Right? So I wasn't going to contact support to find. So if we would have called it a deflection and saved the brand 10 bucks, that would have been an error. When in fact it represented, hey, this person was going to go out and spend 100 bucks with the brand. That's what it really represented, right. answering that question. It was additional revenue. But that's a different mechanic measuring how the community is impacting sales and revenue. Yeah. But it's interesting how just with the verbiage of the survey, maybe we've taken someone down the wrong path. Say, hey, did you find the answer you're looking for? You did? Oh, congratulations. But you weren't going to contact support? <laughs> Darn, that's not a deflection. But wait a minute. They went and bought something anyway. It's not, we didn't yeah. save them 10 bucks. We made them a hundred. Right? Well, let me pull on that thread for a moment. Cause I feel like that has always been one of the more challenging ways for a community team to think about the impact that their program has on the business, right? Because historically, at least it has relied on one of two things. One being assumptions, right? However, based in data that those assumptions might be, but assumptions nonetheless, or, I am pulling data from a CRM, I am marrying it with community data, and I am showing user did A in community, then did B, right, on e-com or in the store. And I think the latter is still true, still a requirement for many, many organizations that want to track the impact of community on revenue generation. What has been really interesting, and it is still, I think, early days for us, is what about communities where there is a direct path to purchase via e-commerce, right? And, and what does that start to unlock for admittedly more of the B2C you know, communities that want yeah. to put that in the community experience? So 
I always explain it as that there's a direct conversion and there's an indirect conversion, right? So just like there's a direct deflection and an indirect deflection. Um, okay, so the direct conversion is someone's on the community, they read about a product, they go to the brands, they stay within the brand's digital mm -hmm. ecosystem, and they go fill up their shopping cart and they buy something that after reading about it on the community, which also lives on the website, right? That can be tracked without a CRM tool integration with the community. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. track a conversion that way as the origin of the person putting that thing in their cart or checking out with it. They started on the community. You can track that. The CRM integration offers a little bit more insight in terms of, of that. Like, but where it becomes very complicated in giving the community its due. And I feel like we're missing this. And of course, it's yeah. a much bigger scale. Long time ago, Joe Cothwell, our chief community officer, asked this question of, you bought an HP printer, or you bought a Canon printer, but you bought it at Best Buy. Are you still an HP customer, or are you still a Canon customer, right? And maybe you use the Best Buy community. Maybe you use the HP community or the Canon community, right? Like, all right, how's this? You're on the PayPal community and you're using them, right? But it has a lot to do with your bank and financial services. Is PayPal a bank or are they not a bank, right? Like, so are you, who's, are you a customer of your bank in this context? Are you a customer of PayPal? <laughs> like, these are really kind of yeah. fuzzy questions and are a bit weird. They get even weirder, a little fuzzier as you try to really pinpoint the value of this stuff. Because if I go in front of a financial team for a brand and I say, hey, this community made you half a million bucks, they, I better be credible with that. Like, where did that come from? Where are these assumptions you are making? Right? And I'm all, you, know, you and you do this as well. We try to be very transparent. We can have all these sort of mental gymnastics, PowerPoint slides and graphs and charts and calculators, and we can take an hour or 90 minutes bringing people through this. But we, I always say, but hey, let me send you all this with the notes, with the white papers, with the academic studies, third-party research studies to complement it, right? Like I make some assumptions and I'm very transparent about those assumptions. I fall back on these studies, right? In the absence of you wiring up your community with CRM, if the absence of you having an actual web store where we can see these direct conversions, I'm going to make assumptions and I'm going to make informed assumptions from academic white papers, from third-party research papers. I'm going to be very transparent about them, but let's have a cup of coffee and let's really talk about it and figure it out and make sure that when I... I've gone out on a, on a limb and, and said, hey, we've made you half a million bucks or a million bucks, right? Like, it's not because it's a wing and a prayer. Like, there is some real thought that's gone behind it. I think the assumptions are necessary, though, until yeah. people actually, you know, I, there's the TSIA uh, survey, the Technology Services Industry Association. They asked about, I think it was like 360 of their brands in their network who had online communities, I think like 60 or 70% of them had single sign-on, but only 20% of them, maybe even a little less, had a CRM integration, right? And the CRM integration is the one that emphatically proves that a community member yeah. 
spends more, is more satisfied, and is cheaper to support. Because from a CRM integration, you can tell, hey, this these people open fewer support tickets. Hey, we, it's confirmed they bought this or they extended their contract length or they're still more loyal. And uh, hey, they're more satisfied. So until every brand gets a CRM integration, or even every band has single sign-on, there's only so much we can do, right? There's and, and assumptions will have to be made. You want a value story, I'm happy to put it together. But if you don't have the technological sort of synthesis going on across your CRM system and the community, we're going to have to make some assumptions. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's where we leave our conversation here today is a, a shameless self-promotion for our own team, which is to say, if you need any assistance in putting together that plan and approach for how to tell that story, uh, call up your friendly neighborhood business value consultant to Please aid you in the process. We, we are standing by. We're operators are standing by. But in all seriousness, and John and I, if you're going to take away one thing, John and I are the biggest community nerds around. We're probably some of the last big major community nerds at Coros. There's a handful more, maybe about three or five more big ones, right? But we also do the social care and social marketing value stories, right? And that's a big part of our solutions and our value proposition. So we're always willing and happy to collaborate with our customers on this. Or even if you're a prospective customer of Coros listening to this, you know, we want to help put a business case together. Absolutely. All right, Jake. Well, thank you so much for the time today. Great chatting with you. And thank you to all of you who are tuning in. Until next time. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending time with us today on Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Your feedback means a lot to us. Continue the conversation on Coros Atlas at community.coros.com. Dot com. Until next time. The CX world is now digital first. It's what customers expect and Koros can help. Koros is an award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. You can harness the power of human connection across the customer experience. From outbound marketing, social, messaging, chat, and SMS to owned and digital communities. Customer engagement means staying always connected. Find out how customer-first software and services can make you a titan of customer engagement at Coros.com.